And we're going to go ahead and get into the message this morning. Let me get to it. And again, I want to thank you guys for having us out. I really do. We're, we're very thankful to get this opportunity to come out, fellowship, and worship with you guys here at First Congregational. Uh, this church has been a terrific friend of our ministry. We are with the Lion's Den Ministry here in town, and many of you guys know us. Uh, but we've been up here a few years now, and this church has been so loving and gracious to the work that we're doing there at the Lion's Den. So, and things are going well. We just had our Easter talent show last night, and it went um, tremendously good. So, I've had a fun night and a good night, and things are going really well there. So, thank you for your support. This church, thank you for all that you do for us. It really does make a difference on the lives of men and women that desperately are needing help. So thank you guys for that. Now, it's a very special Sunday today. I think that every Sunday is special, right? Every Sunday that we gather together and we worship God is special. Uh, but today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, and this is the start of what is known as Holy Week. So this is the beginning of the Passion. And we've seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, Passion. Passion comes from a Latin word that means suffering. So this is the beginning of the sufferings on earth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The arrest, the trial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are celebrating this week, the final week of our Lord's earthly ministry on earth, or his life here on earth, before he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. So we're going to be looking at an account of Palm Sunday. And we're going to pick up the story this morning in Matthew chapter 21. So we'll be in Matthew 21. And I have titled this message, Divine Characteristics of Our King. So I'm not going to be breaking any news to you this morning. If you came here this morning thinking that you're going to learn something brand new, you might walk away disappointed because this isn't anything new that we're going to be talking about. This is something that you all most likely already know. But, you know, sometimes we need to be reminded of what we already know, right? So we know these things. We don't completely forget them but yet they're not really fresh in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits. So we have to be reminded of things. Paul was talking to Timothy, and I think 1 Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy, and he's giving instructions, and he tells Timothy to remind them of these things. Remind them. We need to be reminded sometimes of what we already know. So we're going to see Jesus here on Palm Sunday displaying three divine characteristics. 
three very divine characteristics as he makes his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And these three divine characteristics should bring us as believers, as people who have made a decision to follow Jesus, it should bring us great comfort this morning. We need comfort. In 2021, considering what we've been through over the past year or so, we need hope and we need to be comforted. So there are characteristics of God that are divine. There are also characteristics of God that we can display as human beings. And not only can we display them, but we better be displaying them. We've been commanded to display them. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says to be imitators of God. So we are to imitate God. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate God. Now that's a very, very confident statement to make. That's a very bold statement to make. Can you imagine your walk with the Lord being so good that you can look at someone and say, listen, you do what I'm doing and you're going to be just fine. Now, the way that we usually approach it is, you know, don't do what I'm doing. I'm a train wreck. We're all a train wreck. We've all got all these issues. I'm just a sinner and I'm, you know. But Paul said, no, you imitate me as I'm imitating Christ and you're going to be in good shape. So there are ways that we can be like God. There are ways that we can act like God. So God is loving. God is a loving God. And we can be loving to others, right? We can show that love. God is merciful. And we ought to be merciful to others. We should show and extend mercy to other people just like God has to us. God is forgiving, and we can forgive others. I once heard it said that you are never more like God than when you forgive. When you forgive someone, or even forgive yourself, God is compassionate. God is patient. God is long-suffering. So, if we could not be like God in these areas, if we could not display some of God's characteristics, then we wouldn't be able to present God to the world. So, of course, we can display some characteristics of God, and He manifests Himself through us. However, there's a but, and it's a big one. We are not God. We are not God. And we better know that. Now, you would think that would be obvious, but anymore, I don't know that it is. There's a lot of really bad teachings and philosophies about Christianity that exalts us and it, it lowers God. It brings God down and exalts us up. But He is God we are not. 
that was one of Satan's lies in the garden, right? Is that you can be like God if you eat of the fruit. That was the temptation. So the three that we're going to look at this morning, they are transcendent. They, they go beyond the boundaries of human existence. They go beyond the boundaries of our experience as human beings. So in verse 1, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So he's about to be riding into town, and Jesus is needing an animal. So he uses his disciples to go get the animal for him. He sends his disciples to go get the colt. So he sends them to go get the animal, but he's the one that fulfills the scripture. He is the one that fulfills the prophecy. So Jesus often has us do little things, but he does the big things. It's remarkable that he still uses us in his grand plan, but he, he tells us to go bathe in the Jordan River, like he told Naaman the leper, just go bathe seven times in the Jordan River, and then he comes in and heals him. Or he tells us, go fill the water pots full of water. And so they did at the wedding in Cana. And then he turned that water into wine. He told the people around the grave of Lazarus to roll away the stone. And so they did. And then Jesus brought him back to life. So he has us do the little things. He comes in and accomplishes the big and mighty things. But our simple obedience in those little things can have a huge impact on the people around us, right? Our simple obedience to what may seem trivial, filling up some water pots or rolling away a stone, can have a huge impact on those people that are around us. And so he sends them. He sends his disciples. How did he know that there would be a coat tied up in the village opposite them? How did he know it? Jesus is omniscient. He is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. He has all knowledge. That is the first divine characteristic that Jesus shows us on Palm Sunday, is that he knows absolutely everything. And I don't. I do not. And you do not. So we don't know it all, but Jesus does. If you need proof, that you don't know it all, ask yourself, have you Googled anything in your life? 
the existence of Google and how Google has flourished shows us that we don't know everything. We don't know everything. We don't have all knowledge. But He does. Jesus does. And I need Him. I need Him. I am a mess whenever I take the lead. I'm an absolute mess. I'm an absolute mess whenever I think I know better than Him. But He, he knows us. That's very comforting that He knows us. I'm going to read you guys from Psalm 139. You can turn there if you want to. But you can stay in... Matthew as well. Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm. And again, it talks about how he knows us. And this is David writing this, King David. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And he goes on. How the Lord knows him. He knew him. So he already knows your flaws. He already knows all of your inadequacies. But yet He still loves you. And He still wants you. And He still died for you. He would rather die than be separated from you. He shows us that at the cross. That He would rather die than be separated from you. That's how much He loves you. And he knows you. He knows everything about you. Whenever you're a kid and you're, you're playing in the neighborhood with your friends and you do something stupid, you break a window, and the neighbor walks over and bangs on your door, and your dad comes to the door and opens it, and they say, Can you believe what your son did? Do you want to know what your son did? And the dad usually says, that, my son wouldn't do that. That doesn't sound like something my boy would do. I don't believe you. Are you sure? When the enemy goes and knocks on God's door and God answers, and he says, do you know what James did? God says, sounds about right. Yep. Yep, that sounds about like him. But you know what? He's still mine. And I still love him. And I still died for him. He knows you. He knows where you've been. 
and he knows where you're headed. He knows all of your strengths, and he knows all of your weaknesses. He even knows your hearts, which we can't even know our hearts fully. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, says in Jeremiah. But he knows us. And he knows what he's doing, and he called you. That's a beautiful thing. So Jesus is omniscient. He's all-knowing. In verse 3, it says, And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately they will send them. So how did Jesus know that they would send them? Well, first of all, he's omniscient. We've already established that. But Jesus is also omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, always, at all times. That is the second divine characteristic that we see. Is he's omnipresent. Whenever Jesus was talking with Nathaniel in the first chapter of John, and Nathaniel gets introduced to Jesus, and, and Jesus says something very flattering to Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, how do, how do you know me? We've never met. And Jesus said, Behold, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then Nathaniel was blown away. He, he was with Nathaniel even though he didn't know it. But he's always with you, always right by your side. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. He is always there. He is always here. That's comforting, right? That He's always with us. No matter what you're going through in life, Jesus is right there with you, by your side, walking with you through it. The very last verse of Matthew, and this is in the Great Commission, when Jesus is giving us his great commission to go and make disciples and baptize people, the last verse says this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to be reminded of that this morning. That though life may seem like it's, it's gotten out of control, and all of these fears and anxieties that we all experience, He is right there with you. He has not left you. He said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. He hasn't moved. He has not gone anywhere. He's with us. And not only is He with us, but He also goes before us. He went before the disciples. He had already gone before them and prepared the way. So when Jesus tells us to do something, you can be assured that He's already gone before you and made it happen. 
he knew that the owners of those animals would give them to the disciples. He had already been working on their hearts. We see Jesus here on Palm Sunday, and he is completely in control. It may seem like he's not. He's about to be arrested and put on trial, and he's going to be nailed to a cross, but he is completely in control, and he is orchestrating every last detail of what is happening. It's amazing. So he told the disciples to go, and he went before them, and he accomplished the work before they even showed up. Now, I've experienced that in my own life. When God told me and my wife, who's, you want to raise your hand, sweetie? My wife is here with us. When God told us to go, we went in simple obedience from Tennessee to northern Michigan. And God said to go. God went before us, and he already accomplished the work before we showed up. It was already finished. When we showed up into Ross Commons, he had already moved on people's hearts. He had already opened up doors and made connections and established all of these wonderful things to where we basically just showed up. And it had already been accomplished. He has to accomplish it. Jesus knows I can't do it. Anybody who knows me knows I can't accomplish it. My inadequacies are always before me in trying to do the things of life. So he knows that. But he's not going to command us to do something that he's not going to fulfill. He has us do the easy things the simple things, like get into a vehicle and drive to Roscommon, and then he does the big things, like what we've seen him do at 111 Union Street in Roscommon. Big things. He does that, not us. So he's, he's with us, and he's with me. He's with me even though he knows me, which I find to be incredible. No human being would stick with me if they knew everything about me. If they knew every single thought that I've ever had in my entire life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your wife or your husband knowing every single thought? I'm not even talking about your actions and what we've all done. I'm just talking about what we've thought they would have a hard time sticking with us. He knows every last thing about us, and yet he's still with us right by our sides. That's a good God. That's a good friend. In verse 4 it says, And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, the fowl of a donkey. He's fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies. 
So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. That's very smart. That's very, very smart. The, the disciples did what Jesus commanded them to do. That is the proper way of being in this world. That is the proper way of living and existing in this world. Is doing what Jesus commands us to do. And that's not a mystical thing. Like we can actually do it. We can actually know what Jesus is telling us to do. And we can actually do it. And so they, they were obedient. They brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees. That's where we're getting Palm Sunday. They're cutting down branches and, and spreading the palm branches on the road. Laying your clothes on the road and the branches was an act of respect for royalty. You would do that whenever the king would arrive into your village or town. So they were identifying Jesus properly as the coming king. He was the promised king that they had been waiting for. And it says in verse 9, Then the multitudes who, were, who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They were all moved. The entire city was moved. They have anticipated this day for generations and generations. They've been waiting for their king to arrive. And their king was going to arrive, and he was going to attack the Romans. He was going to beat up the Romans and liberate his people from this Roman oppression that they had been under. So they were excited. Like you can imagine and feel the anticipation where Jesus is riding into town. It's being fulfilled right before their very eyes. They were witnessing it. But instead of attacking the Romans, he gets off of his coat and starts attacking them. He goes on the attack against the quote-unquote godly people. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. He, he goes where the religious people are. And drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So here Jesus displays the third and final divine characteristic. He is omnipotent. 
He is all-powerful. So how do you figure, you might ask, from reading those couple verses in Scripture? You read that and you think, well, he just simply flipped over a couple tables, right? He walked into a small room, two or three tables set up, maybe half a dozen people, 10 or 12 maybe even, and he flipped over a few tables and he drove a few people out of a small room. That's how I've always pictured that story. But that's not how it actually happens. So this took place during Passover. So during Passover, the population of Jerusalem swelled. You had all of these men and women traveling to Jerusalem to offer up sacrifices during this celebration. And so the, the population of Jerusalem tripled, quadrupled. I've, I've read six or seven times as many people would be in Jerusalem during Passover as it was during a, um, a regular day. So it's kind of like Ross Common, right? Like during the summer, the population swells. People travel here and vacation here. And in the winter, it drops back off. But Jerusalem had a lot of people in it during the Passover celebration. And you had all of these people traveling to Jerusalem to sacrifice. And it was very difficult to travel long distances with an animal. It was very cumbersome to travel many, many miles and be bringing your animal to sacrifice with you. So instead what you would do is you would purchase an animal there at the temple. They were selling these animals you could buy to sacrifice. And even if you did bring your own animal to the party, it would most likely get rejected by the inspectors who would inspect your animal to determine whether or not it was pure enough or clean enough, good enough to be offered in the temple. So they would reject your animal, sell you one of their animals, they would take the animal that they rejected of yours and they would bring it back around the line and they would sell that animal to other people traveling there. So it was a scheme, it was a racket that these guys had going on. And if you were going to purchase an animal, you had to purchase it with their currency. So there was an exchange rate in currency that was 10%, 15%. So you had a lot of people making a lot of money off of God's people. They were extorting the people of God who were just there to, again, be obedient and offer up sacrifices. So Jesus sees this and he goes on the attack. He sees God's house being dishonored and he goes on the attack. And really that is the mark of true spiritual growth is when you see something that dishonors God and it, it provokes your spirit within you like you can't stand to see it happening. And so Jesus doesn't clear out a room of 10 or 20 people. 
the temple at this time could have had up to 100,000 people in it and around it. So Jesus doesn't clear out a small room. Jesus clears out Michigan Stadium full of people. Can you imagine one man walking into Michigan Stadium and clearing 100,000 people out of that facility? And these people had plenty of motivation to fight back. That, that was their job. That was their income. They were making money and supporting their families by buying and selling at the temple. So there was a lot of them, and there was one of him. But guess what? It did not matter. He clears everyone out. That is divine power. That is Jesus displaying divine power. He is omnipotent. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is out of his reach. He can accomplish all things. And then in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. The establishment was trying to shut him down. The religious elite were trying to shut him down. But the children and the lowly people were crying out and praising him for who he was. And then in verse 17, and we'll, we'll stop right here. We'll back to verse 16. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what these children and these lowly people are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. So we see our king here on Palm Sunday in the last week of his life here on earth. He's in complete and total control. And it may seem like God has lost control of this world today, but he has not. It may seem like God has lost control of your life. He has not. He's in complete and total control of every last detail. And he's accomplishing the greatest thing that he could ever accomplish for us. What he did for us on the cross is the greatest thing that he could ever do for us. And he shows us these three divine characteristics that bring us such great comfort and relief during very difficult times. He shows us that he knows everything, including you, he shows us that he is everywhere, always. 
including with you. And he shows us that he has the power to accomplish everything, even the very thing that you need accomplished in your life right now. We either believe it or we don't. But that is the truth. That is the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who he is in our life.